so happy to be back here at Amen. Last year, I was able to do a little presentation. The room was a lot smaller, wasn't it? Last year, we, uh, you know, I think they take the dentist sometime and put them on the second floor. And we, <laughs> and we had a, a little presentation on something called Mission to the Many, which is a program that we're initiating in Pennsylvania Conference. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we go along. Basically, what my life has evolved into as a practitioner is tent making. Uh, I found that dentistry is an excellent way to get to do other things. And God really has blessed. The more I challenge him on that notion, the more he makes it evident that I'm headed in the right direction. So this year I was able to cut back to about 25 hours a week in my practice. And believe it or not, I still can support my three children at Andrews. <laughs> so, God is good, isn't he? And one child at home. I'll tell you about him in a little bit. I always have to tell stories about Jaden, for those of you who are familiar with me. My, my youngest son, Jaden, while the other three are in college, he is in fourth grade. He came on later in life, and he has... Down syndrome, and he has autism, and he's ADHD, and he's got all those special things in him that make life incredibly joyful for us as parents. I say that, and I, I really mean it, because Jaden has taught me more than I could possibly ever have been taught from a book. Last year, I told some stories about him, and I'll tell one in a little bit here about him as well. One of the things that we know about city ministries is it's not the first time it's come up in the word of God. It's not the first time it's come up to God's people. In fact, there was a prophet who was asked to go to a city he didn't want to go to, and most people don't want to go to the cities. You remember who that prophet was? The prophet was Jonah, and Jonah decided he wanted to go in the opposite direction because he couldn't possibly believe that God meant what he said when he was talking about saving the people of Nineveh. Well, I'm going to tell you that today God means exactly what he's saying and that he wants to save the people in the cities of the world. And he's called his people to renew their energies. This is not the first time he's called us to do this. A hundred years ago or more, Ellen White began to give a series of invitations and ideas for us to go back and reach the cities where the people are. It's not because God loves cities, it's because he loves the people who are in the cities, right? And so we had the call once, and, and sort of like Jonah, we didn't go in the right direction. For a hundred years, we've been sort of in the belly of the whale with regards to this issue in particular. In fact, Jonah ran away. Now, this is where my story comes in about my son. Because prior to Jaden going to school, I always thought elopement meant that you ran away and got married. But elopement in public school means that you've, you're just running away all the time. And he does that. And for some reason, he is fast. And he really gets away. There was one day... And uh, I can't explain to you why they've assigned him two aides that have bad knees. It doesn't make sense. But there was one day where he got out of the building, through the cornfield, through the ball fields, and was knocking on a Mennonite lady's door before they caught up to him. And she actually came in. But one time when he eloped, something else happened. See, the other thing that is particularly sensitive to Jaden is he can't eat anything with weed in it. And if he gets a hold of it, he goes from ADHD to like ping pong ball ADHD. It's just super hyperactive. And so somehow he got away from one of his aides and he got down the hall. He decided to go into one of the teacher's offices. And on the teacher's desk was a donut and he couldn't resist. And he ate the whole donut before they caught up to him. And it was at just a short time they completely lost him. They had no idea where he was until they finally found him sitting on top of the bleachers in the gym. 
Yeah, I know, it's scary, isn't it? It's sort of the life that we're used to. Sort of what Jonah found himself in the bottom of a ship. Running away from God. We can't run away anymore. Nineveh is not going away. So in Pennsylvania, a few years ago, we began to look at this notion of the cities and how can we begin to address it as a, a conference. Um, Pennsylvania, as we looked at it as a state, has 13 metropolitan areas in it throughout the state. And we began to realize, as we were looking at the church planning ministries, we began to realize that in our church plants, the plants that were in the cities were growing and the plants that were in the suburbs were struggling. Well, it makes sense because of the people that are there. There's more people. I was a church planner, and I chose to, to plant a church out in the suburbs, and we've pretty much remained the same. It's a good church, good worship and fellowship, but we, our growth is stagnant because there's more deer for neighbors than there are people. But we looked at Pennsylvania, and we figured out something, and the very bottom line is what's telling. It says that 82.5% of our population is living in the 13 main metro areas. And yet, we as Adventists, where do we like to live? We like to live out in the country, in the suburbs, and we kind of made that decision as intentionally as to live in the country, but we forgot that the rest of the story was to go back and minister to the people in the cities. That's the rest of the story. And I've been to places where I've done uh, some coaching, I've done some uh, seminars with Adventists who live on the fringe of the cities, and we've talked about what God is calling us to do, and that people are perfectly content to stay out in the country. Today, I hope I can move you off of perfectly content. I hope we can do that. So we realized that we've got this incredible charge given to us by the spirit of prophecy. This is one, a funny thing is, is that uh, I, a few months ago, I got to speak at Elder Wilson's church. And that day, I spoke before he did. So I got to put all the quotes up first. And then he had, now last night, he put all my quotes up. So you're just going to have to see them again, okay? This is the one that we all like to look at. There's no change. There is no change in the messages that God has sent in the past. The work in the cities is the essential work for this time. You see that? It's the essential work for this time. What does it mean to be essential? It's necessary, isn't it? When the cities are worked as God would have them, the result will be the setting and operation of a mighty movement such as we have not yet witnessed. Notice the word when is it's prophetic in its notion. When means it hasn't happened yet but it's going to, you see? And notice the words, as God would have them, suggest the fact that God has a way he wants it done. And it's going to be a mighty movement. What, a, what an, an incredible statement for Sister White to say, such as we have not yet witnessed, because remember what the movements were that she was through? She went through the Millerite movement. She went through the early years of the Great Advent movement. And yet, in 1910, she comes to a point in her life and she says, wait a minute, folks. There's a movement coming like we've never seen before. I'm tired of being part of a church. I want to be part of a movement. So I began to look we began to, we set up a study group together, got together, we began to look at the quotes. And before we realized that um, there had been other compilations, we actually spent time and created our own compilation, Pennsylvania Conference. If you want to go and look at our research, you can go to missiontothemany.com. We broke it all down. You can look at the research for yourself there and see what we came up and discovered. And one of the things we discovered was this. The first thing is, we found this quotation, what are conferences for? In reference to the work in the cities, what are conferences for if not for the carrying forward of this very work? It's a unique notion in Adventism because most of the, the uh, movement in terms of reaching the cities has come from individual type efforts or ministry efforts. But Pennsylvania Conference made a decision. I'm gonna, I'm, I actually have some people from Pennsylvania Conference here that we're going to talk to in a little bit. 
they made a decision to go forward as a conference because council said we should. It's pretty brave, isn't it? In this day of budgets and, you know, the way things are going to say, well, we're going to start something new in the conference because we've been told to do it, we believe it's truth, and so we have to act and move forward. I started looking at some other things with, that came into statements, and some of these are going to be compelling for you, too. This one, she said, it's the Lord's plan that physicians well-versed in the Bible truth should unite with ministers laboring in the cities in aid and giving as a whole the harmonious message of warning that should be given to the world. We all know that. You've already heard that before. This particular quote is not talking about what you do in your practice. Right? It's talking about uniting with ministers where? In the cities. Well, that, that's problematic, isn't it? for most of us who have practices, because what do you do? How do you do that? We're not just talking about evangelism. We're talking about uniting with pastors in ministry in the cities. That's a paradigm shift for most of us who are practitioners. We have to rethink the way we do things in order to accommodate this. For those of you who are students here today, think about this before you ever start your practice. If you're going to do one and a half jobs just in your practice, how do you expect yourself to listen to the call of the Lord when he asks you to do this type of thing? There are some decisions that have to be made at the very start, and those decisions come on the basis of where you're at in your conversion experience with Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that a little bit later again because we're going to look at the example of a man who made some decisions that changed his life dramatically. So I looked at this and I said, well, I'm going to have to change, because if I'm going to work with the conference and we're going to try to do this, I'm not going to have as much time in my office. You know what's funny about that is, is my patients, you know, because I do mission trips and all these things, my patients begin to ask me what, where I've been and what I've been up to. So witnessing to them becomes incredibly easy, you know. They just think it's incredible. It's wonderful, especially now because we're going to do something. And they know that I've gone all over the world, and they know that now we're going to do something in their hometown. They're very excited about that, very excited about that. Sometimes they donate money when we do stuff. Sometimes they just want to know what's going on. It's really cool when you can just talk to your patient. You can just be sitting there and you, and you can say, you know, well, you know, the Lord has really impressed me to do this or do that. And I, you don't even think about it after a while. I don't even think about talking to my patients about the Lord because, you know, there's stuff in the waiting room. There's stuff on the walls. Uh, they know that I go away all the time, and, and, and sometimes that bothers them, but they, it's okay because they ask me where I've been when I come back. And so they know what my experience is, and they're okay with that. If they weren't, they could, I always tell them, there's more dentists down the road. That's okay. I don't feel compelled to have to be the only one who can fix teeth in the, in the neighborhood. Now, I also looked at this one because this took on a different note. It says, those in charge of our conferences should find businessmen to look after the financial decisions of the city work. This is also an exit strategy from, what, from the strategy we currently use, where conferences usually have... Whoever's in the conference, pastors, et cetera, make business decisions, which a lot of times has not worked out, right? Right? So with regards to the work in the cities, it's saying, look, you know, this is going to be too much for the pastors. Business people should really be making these decisions, and the conferences should go out of their way to try to find business people who can do that. So from the very beginning of this Protestant Pennsylvania conference, they have first trusted a few business people to come up with budgets, to look at ideas of, of how to make this work. By the way, you, by the nature of what you do in life, are business people. You are people in authority. You are people who have sway with people's hearts. You are people who God has called to be leaders. This is, this is a job for you. I didn't hear very many amens. Okay, why should we worry? Because look at this. As we're trying to organize the church of God to go and reach the millions of people in the cities, look at what Satan's already doing. In every city, his agencies are busily organizing. 
We think that Satan isn't organized. He's already organizing into parties. We're told to organize into companies. He's organizing people into parties that are opposed to the law of God. The arch deceivers at work to introduce elements of confusion and rebellion, and men are being fired with a zeal that is not according to knowledge. Wickedness is reaching its height as never before. But God's faithful messengers are to go steadily forward in, with their work, clothed with the panoply of heaven. They are to advance fearlessly and victoriously. Those are bigger words than we can imagine because I can remember a time in my personal experience when I, I was fearful of putting literature in my waiting room. I'll be honest with you. I thought to myself, well, how's it going to affect business? That's a fear, brothers and sisters, because some of us don't believe that we should be mixing the two, and I'm saying the two are so intimately integrated, there should never be separation from the start. And so all of these things combined that kind of had me, it was a compelling argument that I, I needed to go to the city and do some work in the cities. Now, I'm going to go through some basic elements really quick, quick here of the basic plan for city work as given by Spirit of Prophecy. It's a much bigger plan than what we're going to talk about this morning, but there's, a, there's books out there that have blueprints that you can look at. But there's actually, there is a blueprint. God has a way that he wants us to work in a city, and if we move in a, the general direction of the counsel that we've been given, there'll be some su su success, and we're going to talk, I'm going to show you some success in a few minutes here. First off, missions are essential as the foundation of the missionary effort in the cities. It's a foundational notion that we should have missions in the cities. Note, it doesn't say anything about churches, okay? Churches should be in the cities, but it's talking about missions in the cities. Now, in Pennsylvania, we don't, as far as I know, have a single mission, what we would call in our cities, until next month. Because next month, we're going to have a mission in the city. But look at what she says. She says it's a foundational element. What does that mean? That means that if the foundation is bad, what else is bad? Everything. You can't build unless you have a sound foundation. So the work in the city is based on the idea of missions being established. Yeah, I'm defining missions as the council does. And it, she calls missions three things. She calls them centers of influence. She calls them plants. And she calls them city missions. Those are the three vocabulary words that are used for describing a place where people are trained to do, to do the work in the city. Um, if you want more on that, you can go to, there's a whole like chapter on that in the research. Okay, so a second thing that she said is, and I'll just read the red, is that company be organized. She, she was given the insight that companies should be organized and diligently trained to labor in our important cities. People need to be sent. They need to be trained and they need to be sent in groups. Uh, a lot of times this kind of work goes on one person at a time, but that wasn't what uh, was represented to her, is that we were to go forth in, as in, in companies. Next step is that, that God really wants us to work from the outside to the inside, if possible. These are some of the things that were specifically told to be on the outside of the cities. Sanitarium work, in some instances, can start on the inside, but it should find its way to the outside of the city. Every large city, if possible, should have a small sanitarium. How many large cities in the United States have small sanitariums around them? Yeah, you know, I did something interesting, if you want to do this sometime. I did, uh, just took that quote, every city, and looked up every passage. It's an amazing amount of things that we should be do doing in every city. But we aren't close here, folks. We aren't close with this. That's a good question. Yeah, the question was, what does a sanitarium look like in the 21st century? And I can give you the research on that, but what it looks like to us is a place of wellness a wellness center. We're actually changing the word to wellness center. And it will focus on the aspects, the whole 
wholeness aspect of health, not just the medical part of health. Um, and actually, brothers and sisters, you know, the, the interesting thing is, is when, I, when we do these, when I do this seminar, people always want to either do, start a sanitarium or start a restaurant. That's the first thing that comes to their mind. And really, Ellen White and, and, and counsel and, and even the word of God through the Ephesus model, which I can talk to you in a little bit about, really shows a sequence of things that takes place before you jump to those things. Because God is a God of order. Let me give you an example. Would you open a hospital without any referral base? It would be a silly thing to do, wouldn't it? And so she talks about having places in the cities where treatment rooms occur so that they can actually refer people to the sanitariums. Now, how that works out financially, we haven't quite figured that out yet because people in the cities are pretty poor for the most part. But it's not if we should figure it out, it's how we should figure it out and when we should figure it out because it's God's plan. Same thing with restaurants. Lots of misconceptions as to what the restaurant. Anyway, this is a mind map. Some people might say it's a mindless map of all the, the, the things that are going on in, in, in council from outpost centers and missions and urban centers and um, you got the population center of the city and you got the conference involved and wellness centers or sanitariums and all of these things have one purpose. Their one purpose is, is that eventually there'll be a church that's planted or a, what Ellen White calls a memorial to God is established. Because at the end of the day, you can fix people up, but if you don't fix their souls, you haven't accomplished a whole lot. If you haven't found a way to give them Jesus, even in your practice every day, if you haven't found a way to give them Jesus, then we have to question what we're doing as Christians. Okay, so we established something called missiontothemany.com, um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. What we've done so far with Mission to the Many is we realize that we, in many cases, we can't get old wine out, new wine out of old wineskins. And so when you go to a church and you do a seminar, everybody says, well, that was really nice, and, but people are hard to motivate to, to move the work. So we've actually hired some young adults because we believe in young adults and youth. We've been training them and we've put an advanced placement team in the city of Allentown because that's where we're working this year. I'm gonna tell you about Allentown. Allentown, Bethlehem Easton is a region that's about a, a, anywhere from 880,000 to, to a million people. In that area, we have about six churches that are sort of on the fringe or on the inside. Actually, inside that area, probably three churches or four churches. I went to Santiago, uh, Dominica, Dominican Republic, a few years ago, or last year, and there's a city, the city of Santiago is the exact same size as Allentown, and they had 66 churches in the same demographic. And I wonder to myself, because maybe part of what we've done is, is we say, we call the, city, the church, the Adventist church in Allentown, we call it the Allentown church. Maybe that's it, because then everybody figures, well, Allentown's covered, because it's got a church. But in Santiago, there's the 4th Street Church, there's the 6th Street Church, there's the 8th Street Church. And I asked the president of the union there, I said, well, how are you doing this? He says, well, what we're doing basically is we're, we're gathering young people, young adults, and I put them in a company, and we give them a little training, and then we, we, get, we tell them, this is your area, go start a church. And guess what they do? They go start a church. Now, the church is different than our churches, because most of our churches don't even know who the neighbor is next door. It's a sad state of affairs. But in Santiago, the church that is in the community is the center of the community. It's a center of influence for the community. And so we began to grapple with that notion a little bit, and we looked, and one of the things is, is because every... Ellen White said that we should send companies. We weren't sure exactly how this should all work strategically. 
So we looked at this quote. It says, in every city that has entered, a solid foundation is to be laid for the permanent work. The Lord's methods are to be followed by doing house-to-house work, by giving Bible readings, etc. And we realized that there's a pre-work to establish itself before the permanent work comes. And we were ready to jump right in and do the permanent work without doing the pre-work. So we went back to Scripture to see if Scripture upheld that. And we looked at something called the Ephesus model. Now Paul uses Ephesus as an example. We think that Ellen White was inspired with all this stuff brand new, but the reality is that she was able to see almost everything she had to say we can find in in the story of Ephesus, including the idea of a center of influence. And so I started in Acts chapter 19, if you remember that story where Paul comes to Ephesus and he gathers a group of disciples and he trains them and then he separates them aside to a school and he begins to train them more and all kinds of neat things happen there in Ephesus. And at the end of three years, the Bible says that all of Asia heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? So the first thing we need to remember that is if we're aiming for Allentown, we might get Pennsylvania because this is God's work. But something still didn't seem right, so I went back to the story, and I realized that before that happened, that Paul had gone to Ephesus before, and he had left a team behind. Do you know who the team was? Aquila and Priscilla. They were traveling with them, and he left them behind, and they started a work before the company came and worked. And I began to realize that there was a parallel to that in council, spirit of prophecy, because Ellen White talked about a certain couple that would go into a city. Do you remember who they were? The Haskells. They'd go into the city, and they'd start a work in the city, and eventually a company would come, they would develop a company, and the work would be continued. And so we decided that we were going to start with a group of young people who are our advanced placement team, our Aquila Priscilla team, the work of the Haskells, and we would have them prepare the way for establishing a mission and also for a larger company to come and do the work. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? Wait do you hear what they're encountering in the city. It's amazing. All of a sudden, my whole life I've grown up in Pennsylvania. And everybody has said, you know what? The reason the church doesn't grow in Pennsylvania is just people are too hard to reach in Pennsylvania. Now, I'm sure you've heard that in California and in Nevada and in Ohio. We, we say that everywhere, don't we? But guess what we found out? The people aren't too hard. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. Now, I want to invite somebody up here for a minute. I'm going to invite my personal ministry partner, Elder Peterson, up. Because I want you to kind of get a feel for what the struggle was to get to this point, and then we're going to look at a video clip together. This is Will Peterson. And to tell you how serious the uh, Pennsylvania Conference is, you probably can use that mic, I think. Um, He's the vice president for mission and administration for Pennsylvania Conference, and we often find ourselves at the same place. Beyond that, he's one of my better friends in life. We've been doing ministry together for how many years? 12 or 13. 12 or 13 years. And it's kind of supportive notion that we can have that practitioners and pastors can work together. Because we've been doing it a long time. And I trust him almost as much as he trusts me. Sometimes I wonder if he should back off of that trust about me. (laughs) I don't. Because I'll call him up and I'll say, Will, you got this crazy idea, and he'll say, well, Jeff, it's your program. (laughs) I say, no, it's the conference. So I'm going to ask Will a couple questions here, and I just want to know what, what made Pennsylvania Conference, what you think made Pennsylvania Conference interested in moving forward with Mission to the Many, what ultimately did it. Well, really, the, the potential for souls. That's, that's got to be the bottom line. 
And when we look out there and we see so many souls that are just in the cities and that are not being touched, that's what, that's what really drove us. And that's what's driven us for the last 12 years, since I've been there anyways. Um, along with the rest of the team, we keep trying to experiment and find what will bring on this last great movement that, that Jeff has been sharing. Yeah, could you tell me, Will, did, was it, did the conference get it the first time through the material? No, <laughs> no, not really. Um, our president, Ray Hartwell, asked Jeff to research this, you know, how do we reach into the cities? And so Jeff did the research and we sat down for two days with Jeff and we went through it all. We kind of got it, but not completely. And so it's, it's a learning process. The more you immerse yourself into it and the more you put it before the Lord in prayer, then, then the Holy Spirit slowly opens your mind up and you can see the potential and how God can move when you follow uh, the counsel of the Bible and of the spirit of prophecy. Yeah. Well, what, the treasurer had a little hard, harder time with the material, and he, was, he admitted to me that he hadn't read it until one day he was at home, and somehow he got locked out of his house. And so he was sitting in his car waiting for his wife to come home, and all he had to read was the material I had provided him. <laughs> And so the, the Lord in his providence made him read it. Next time I saw him, he said, hey, man, we got to do this stuff. Said, yeah, that's true. So it, it did take several times for us to, and that's okay, because we want it solidly built from the word of God in, in our hearts. Have there been any hurdles up to this point no, that you know of that I haven't told you about? <laughs> well, it's, it's a matter of, you know, you see it, in the spirit of prophecy and the Bible, but then it's a matter of putting it into practicality. And there's also the matter of dollars. Um, you know, the, the Pennsylvania Conference is a small conference, and the way Ellen White outlines it, as Jeff said, she's an excellent business person, but we're looking at this to become self-perpetuating. Uh, to be able to support itself will always support it in some way, shape, or form but we want to be part of um, giving its capital startup, so to speak. And so one thing we've done is we put $50,000 into Mission to the Many. And with that in the Columbia Union Conference, you can use that to leverage a grant from the union. And if you get a grant from the union, then you can use that to leverage a grant from the uh, North American Division, um, Global Mission, et cetera. Those only go for three years, though, so it's, it's pure startup. And so the Lord has uh, exposed Jeff to a lot of things, and one of them is, is that a ministry must be self-perpetuating because if you depend entirely upon the conference, the conferences, in most cases, do not have the resources to pour into a ministry to really make it work because the conferences are spread thin through all the churches and all the institutions that we have to support. I'm going to cue that movie now. I want to say that he was being modest about that. The conference also hired somebody full-time to be the field director, in addition to the $50,000 that he just spoke of. So we have a field director full-time. Watch this video. Imagine if in the next 12 months, in the ministry that you're participating in, 1,200 people came and asked you to do presentations on health for them. What if 688 people asked you to help them quit smoking? What if 550 people requested Bible studies from you? What if people were just knocking down your doors, asking you to share the message that we have as an Adventist church with them, our health message and our message of, of present truth? What if that would happen? How would that revolutionize what you do for God in your daily life? As we've been going door to door with Mission of the Mini and our, our outreach team has been going out and visiting people, we've only been on the streets for six weeks and yet the amount of response that we've gotten, if you average that over 12 months, that's exactly what you would have. That many people asking for help from us, Seventh-day Adventists, to share with them the message of truth that we have, both health and spiritual. 
And we just want to share some stories with you today about what's been happening, how God has been using our team on the streets of Allentown, Pennsylvania. For those who are interested in health, they filled out our survey, they marked down health, and we offer them uh, a balanced magazine. We get to go back and share that with them. On this particular home, there was a woman who had marked down that she was interested, but she wasn't there, but her son was. Now, he was, he was uh, questioning, you know, what are you guys doing? And so, you know, he filled out a survey as well. He went back inside, and later he came out, he thought about it, and he said, you know what, why don't you write me down as a volunteer? Because I'd love to help you guys out in the future. People were extremely interested in health, and we're seeing just a huge response to that. But as we're, we're going out and doing this medical missionary work in the city, people are also coming to us with spiritual questions, and, and people are asking us to help them understand the deeper truths of the Bible. As we're working here in Allentown, we see incredible things taking place as God's working before us and touching even the youth's heart, they're crying out for something better in their life. We've also had the opportunity to do Bible studies with the youth at church. And one gentleman comes up to us and asks the question, can I have Bible studies specifically on health? And so as we've been going along with this gentleman and we've been giving him the Bible studies, we see God working in his life as he's open and asking questions and challenging us to even get into the Word of God. And the very next day when we continued doing surveys, Andrew came across a family, and as they were filling out the survey, he noticed over their name, it was the very same name as Joey, the gentleman from church that we were studying with. So we see that God was already working in their lives, and they were interested in Bible studies. Now God has brought the family together, and we see that God is working in their family to grow and nurture and fall in love with Christ as we open the Word of God in their home. Ellen White says that the medical missionary work is as much about ministering to the needs of the soul as it is to ministering to the needs of the body. And what we're finding is we're engaging people on their concerns for their health and we're helping them to understand spiritual things more fully. That there's also people that are looking for someone to show compassion and interest in them and minister to their emotional needs. We were heading down our last street that evening and I remember it was overcast. Um, I knocked on the second to last door and a woman in her 50s invited me in after I explained who I was and why I was there. Um, as she was filling out a survey, she began to open up about her life experience and I found out that she just recently lost a husband. She um, explained that she was having a hard time to cope with it and at that time I felt impressed to pray with her. So I had special prayer and after that prayer, Face, her face just lit up and she felt relieved. Um, I could tell by her expression that she really needed someone there at that time. Um, I feel that as we share our concern with the people here, to share that compassion of Christ really opens up people's hearts and the grace of God can really be used to relieve their burdens and cares. A lot of people are depressed and I felt that God was using me at that time to touch this one woman's life. Before I left, she wanted me to come back to her. And I felt privileged and honored that I could be used by God to be there for somebody. We're told that when we work the cities as God would have them, it'll be the setting and operation of a mighty movement such as we have not yet witnessed. And what we're seeing here in Allentown is the beginning of that movement. As we've been studying the Bible and studying the spirit of prophecy and trying to implement Christ's method in reaching the cities, you can tell that the results are just amazing as we've been interacting with the people. And we're ready to, to take the next step. In the coming months, we're going to be opening a center of influence in Allentown where people can come to us and, and be ministered to in a variety of ways, from after-school programming for kids to English as second language classes, tutoring centers for kids, and we're going to start doing a variety of health seminars and health education in our, in our center, and hopefully eventually be able to open simple treatment rooms and, and tie into a much broader work of, of health in the area. And, and also, something that's very exciting that's coming up is we're starting the Simplicity Institute we are so excited to begin the school in January of 2013. So visit our website at missiontothemany.com for more information.
so that's the next step is to start a, a school where we're going to invite young people to come and young adults or old adults, however young you feel you are, to come and be trained specifically for three things. One, for metro ministries because they'll get to help us work in the mission. Secondly is we've put in the, the course at least four or five modules of learning to become self-supporting, business modules. And we're actually going to have the students start a business from scratch. And we're going to coach them through that so that when they're done, they will have that skill in their quiver. And the third thing is, is we're going to teach them specifically in medical missionary. We've, and we're using all local professionals. That's how we're, we're doing it, because we're trying to make it a repeatable model, you see. And so it's exciting because we're getting buy-in from locals. Now, I just want to clarify some of those numbers because Wes, my, my partner there, he, he's projecting. But I want you to know that after six weeks, we had probably close to 85 people requesting Bible studies or wanting to have Bible studies with us. The intention was not just to have Bible studies. We have a whole list of things that they can check off. The suggestion is, is, is that there's people waiting out there for us to come and ask if they want to hear about Jesus, and that the Holy Spirit has prepared their hearts before we could ever imagine. And so if we kept up at that rate, we realized we had a problem because we only have three or four people on the streets, and we have 70 to 80 Bible study requests. So Pastor Paul, Pastor Paul Wasmer is the pastor of the Allentown Church how do we start resolving that issue? We have to motivate the, the members of the church to actually pick up some of this load and, uh, and, and, and share in the work. We, we can't leave it for the Bible workers to do. And how's, how's that been going? What are some of the results of some of the training? The first thing we did is we, we, uh, we took, uh, well, we made available to the church members uh, an afternoon, a Sabbath afternoon opportunity to go out onto the streets door to door and do the same kind of survey work in the same territory that our Bible workers are currently working. We, uh, we had 22 people on the streets that afternoon, which, you know, Allentown is probably like a lot of churches in this country. Uh, we're a multicultural uh, church, about 370 members, about 240 in attendance. Most of them drive in from other places. They don't necessarily live in the community. They're detached from their community. And to have 22 people on the streets that afternoon was a wonderful blessing. We followed that up with an opportunity to... Uh, to, to start doing some Bible studies. We've made appeals to the congregation now. And uh, this, uh, what, two Sundays ago, uh, Wes started a, a Bible study orientation training program. We had 16 people from the congregation who came and said, you know what, we'll learn to do Bible studies and we'll make ourselves available. And I think Wes has assigned us 40 of those names for uh, members in our congregation to follow up on. And, and we're right in process right now. Uh, tomorrow afternoon, Wes finishes uh, the training in the congregation, and then our goal is to, is to put the members to work. We obviously have to motivate and, and incorporate all the members in all the churches to get this work done in the right way. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, it, it's, a, it's a pretty unusual to, to be able to get folks in the church in the pews out these days, especially door-to-door, especially door-to-door, especially door-to-door in an urban setting. Uh, Wes is, used to work for uh, GYC, and I went to GYC this year in Houston, and one of the things that you notice at GYC is, is the buses are full when it's the, the day to go out, and that there's adults mixed with the kids, but when you get to areas of town that are a little scary, the kids are off the bus like that, and the adults are kind of lingering. They're kind of like, should I go or should I stay? And it's almost peer pressure that gets them off the bus. Peer pressure from the young adults. But it's happening, folks, because it's a contagious ministry we're talking about. It's about people who are deciding that we've been here long enough and it's time to finish the work. And if it starts with, you know, if you want to, the army has figured out a long time ago, if you want to take a mountain, you send the young people. And it's so true because they don't know that they can't do it. And we're getting some neat stories. If you want to go on the blog, you can go and look at Mission of the Many and read some of the guys' stories. I don't know how much time I have. Four minutes. 
I can't do this in four minutes. But I will tell you that I wanted to talk to you about leadership because you are leaders. And I wanted to talk to you about allowing Jesus Christ to change your life like it did Nicodemus. Ellen White says the lesson to Nicodemus was, is highly applicable today to those who are in responsible positions as rulers in Israel. That's you folks. Anybody who has authority in the local church, anybody who speaks for the church, if you're a Sabbath school teacher, if you're a physician, if you're a dentist, if you're somebody who is involved and have authority in the church, the lesson of Nicodemus is speaking to you today. One of the, there's five things I want to point out that happened to Nicodemus in his encounter with Jesus Christ. And it will only happen to you if you have an encounter with Jesus Christ. The first thing is, is that when we encounter Jesus, he reveals to us what our righteousness is like. And then we know that our righteousness is like filthy rags. It was the Apostle Paul who realized that about himself. When he, as he went through his journey in life, he began by most of his epistles by saying, Paul, an apostle of God. A little bit later, he said, Paul, least amongst the apostles. A little bit later in life, he said, Paul, least amongst the less, least brethren of the brethren. And finally, he concluded, Paul, chief of sinners. It's because as we approach Jesus Christ, we begin to understand that what our righteousness is of no value in this process, and that's what Nicodemus experienced that night. If you want to have the experience of Nicodemus, then you need to come to Jesus. The second thing that Nicodemus experienced is, is his perspectives were clarified. He didn't even have a clear understanding of the Bible. He didn't understand what the scriptures pointed to. He thought that the Romans were going to take care, that Jesus, was the Messiah, would come and take care of the Romans. And it wasn't until Jesus clarified his perspectives on the, on the word of God that he went back and he realized that all those prophecies pointed to something different than what he had thought. It is true that unless we have been converted by Jesus Christ in our lives, that we can look at Scripture and think it's entirely something different than what we had traditionally believed. That's a true statement. The third thing is, is it took him from being fearful to fearless. We find that he couldn't even come to Jesus in the beginning, except by night, because he was afraid what other people would think. I was afraid to put things in my office. I was afraid to talk to people until Jesus taught me something different. He taught me that the gospel, the good news, is that good that I should not have fear to share it with anyone. If you don't know the gospel is that good, you're going to be fearful. You have to come to Jesus to understand how good the gospel is. And look what it did with Nicodemus. It took him from being fearful to being fearless. At the end of his time, when Jesus was on the cross, it was Nicodemus who came forward, not the disciples. It was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who took Jesus off the cross. And they prepared him for burial. The next thing it does is it changes our life ambitions. For 40 years, I thought life was all about paying off my school bills. And then some. I wanted the big house and the big car and all of those things. And I realized when I got it all, I want to get rid of it all. Why? Because Jesus changed my ambitions. Nicodemus had all the wealth he could possibly have. If, if he was the Nicodemus that was his contemporary in the Tamid, it says that he had enough wealth to carry a city by himself for 10 years. And yet, Sister White says, despite his wealth, he was defrauded and persecuted and stigmatized by those who had paid him reverence in other days, and he became poor in this world's goods. Folks, if there are souls to be saved, I don't want to have a bank account when Jesus comes. Listen, if you don't think it applies to you, look at this quote. All his gifts are to be used in blessing humanity and relieving and suffering in the needy. We are to feel, feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to care for the widow and the fearless, fatherless, to minister to the distressed and the downtrodden. God never meant that the widespread misery in the world should exist. He never meant that one man should have the abundance of the luxuries of life while the children of others should cry for bread. The means over and above the actual necessities of life are entrusted to man to do good, to bless humanity. Are the great body of professed Christians doing this work? Brothers and sisters, are you doing this work? 
Have you realized that everything that God has given to you is for the benefit of humanity to call them to the great promise that is in Jesus Christ? It changes our perspective on things, but it only comes if you come to Jesus. You can't do this on your own. If you think you can, you're fooling yourself. You'll continue in that rat race that the world has put us in. And finally, it calls us to action. It was Nicodemus who finally, when Jesus died, went to the cross with Joseph of Arimathea, and they took down the broken body of Jesus Christ, no longer afraid to hide from their friends, no longer worried about their seat on the Sanhedrin. They, they prepared his body. That means they took his broken limbs and they placed them in a proper way on his body. They cleaned his wounds. They made a very public proclamation that this indeed was the Messiah and my Savior. You know, when Jesus, when you encounter Jesus, it calls you to action. You cannot remain where you're at. It changes our perspective on things. Folks, if these things aren't happening in your lives, it's time to come to Jesus and have a conversion experience in him. Because this is what's important. Is that people can look at Jesus and live. I propose to you this morning, last thing I'm going to say, that you haven't begun to live until you look. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have stories to look at. We thank you that we can look at what's going on. And we're excited, Lord. There's great things about to happen. Every heart here, every heart here is being tugged on by the Holy Spirit this morning because it, it's like the wind. It does what it wants. The Holy Spirit does. And he comes to us and he's converting hearts even this morning, Lord. And I'm just praying, Lord, that these my, people's minds will be opened up to, the, to, to what you have to say to them. Because a room like this, if it was converted for Jesus Christ, we could be home in a few years. It didn't take many disciples at Pentecost, Lord. And so, Lord, we apologize. We confess to you that we have not been converted. Because we're still here. Because there's millions of people who need to hear about you. And like Jonah, we've run in the opposite direction. So Lord, turn us around. Send a whale to get us in the right place. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes for each one of us personally. So that we can soon see you in the clouds of heaven. We pray and ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen. Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.